You're listening to Customer Perspective, an Ipsos podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 9, recorded the week of April 12, 2021. to Season 3, Episode 9 of Customer Perspective. So this is our Ipsos podcast series aimed at all of you who are concerned in some way with helping your organization deliver on its brand promise. So I'm Helen Wilson. I'm the Global Chief Experience Officer for our Ipsos CX and Channel Performance business. And today I'm joined by Andrew Stevenson, who is the Chief People Officer from EQ, which are international specialists in payments and technology-led services, and our very own Jamie Thorpe, Head of Experience Management. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you very much for joining us. Absolute classic. Great to be here. And Jamie, it's lovely to have you back. Now, I get the impression that you two go back a long time, so I'm going to leave most of this conversation to you two. So, Jamie, over to you. Thanks, Helen. Yeah, perfect. Yes, we do. We have worked together very successfully, I might add. Um, and I'm just trying to think when, well, it was too many years ago now to remember. So yes, we will. We will try to behave. We'll try to, to stay on the path. And uh, uh, yes, let's use the time effectively. So Andrew, great to see you again, mate. Um, it'd be really great for those that don't know you to just give a uh, an introduction to yourself and, uh, and your role, if you'd be so kind. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, my, my name's Andrew Stevenson, as people have, have said. Um, my background is technically HR. So although I've held roles in operations and at various times I've run IT and other teams, for, for over a decade I, I've run the people functions of various large companies um, in retail, in automotive, and now in, in outsourced financial services, as you say. Uh, and across all of that time, my role has been to help the, the people function deliver a customer focused organization uh, and historically which is where Jamie and I first worked together I, I was very specifically tasked with delivering a complete cultural change of an organization to help make it um, be completely customer focused as opposed to sales focused uh, and so I ended up running the customer experience function and I also ended up accidentally doing a doctorate um, in in how you uh, integrate customer experience into the culture of a business, which was definitely not the plan, but which is where we ended up. So Sounds like a very happy accident, frankly. I like that. Yeah, a bit of serendipity. You can't beat it. So, uh, yeah, but but definitely not planned. And incredibly relevant, and we'll definitely come to that because we know there's some things in there that uh, be good to uh, get you talking about for the listeners to this podcast. So that'd be brilliant. So people see, you know, anyone that will look you up will see, as you, as you say, an HR professional with with lots of letters after your name. But you, you know, it's great that you've to have you on here because you've got a a sort of uh, CX view through the people or employee lens, which is really important because we're, we're talking more and more with organizations to bring down the silos of, you know, what was once CX and EX and they wouldn't talk to each other in the, the corridor, let alone work together. So it's great to get that lens. And yes, this this podcast primarily focuses on CX, but we will stray into to employee as well, if, if that's okay. But before we start then, so with, with your, you know, your background in various brands and businesses you've worked for, what's your your view on the CX market as a whole now? How do you see the industry and how people are um, embracing it and how it's evolved in recent times? I mean, I think your, your listeners will know better than 
better than I do. You know, CX used to be a bit that was a ancillary part of many businesses that was tacked onto the organization. It was often aligned into the marketing function. And if you were if you were maybe lucky, you could get a board, you know, you could get one page in the board report that people may or may not read. And certainly back in the early days of my career, that that's how I kind of remember it. And, and probably the biggest bit of CX that got any attention was customer complaints, you know, wow. which completely misses the point, but that's where we were. And, and the world is just a completely different place now. I think, you know, pretty much everybody recognises unless you've got a definitive plan on customer experience, unless you've got a definitive plan to engage your people, then then you're just going to struggle to com- to compete. And therefore, it's now widely integrated. I think the companies that do it well have it as a real part of the board and the executive committee conversation. They have the data aligned. There's still, we'll probably get onto it later, there's still a lot of companies that are, that are data rich and insight poor. But the ones who are really, really using it to, as, as an integral part of corporate strategy are are making a difference and, and having an impact and an impact that that delivers for all of their stakeholders, whether it's the customers themselves, the shareholders, the employees, as you touched on. Um, so, and I think, you know, a lot of people in the industry have just got better at doing that, getting messages that you can tangibly do something with. Uh, and that's that's really pleasing. Let's get straight into the so what, you know, you, you know, you and I have always been on the pragmatic end of, of CX and always looked at what does this actually do? What is the, the so what of why I should as an organisation embrace CX and do something with it? Um, this is very much a loaded question because I know you well, but um, and I know that your your accidental doctorate uh, played a part in this. But do you want to talk a little bit about linking CX to business performance because that's a lot of the so what that some people's lips at the moment, especially given the, um, the where we are with the pandemic and people returning certainly in the UK back to normal and trying to get back into shops and retail. What's the the link between CX and business performance as you see it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're right. For me, that's it's absolutely imperative. So I think what I see so often is you you get a general buy-in from from any exec group these days that it's important to drive your CX agenda. People get it's important. And and what I often see in organisations is um, some sort of link between why they should improve the CX and, and what the business results will be. But but usually it's a correlation. Usually it's very generalistic. And, and in many cases, you know, going into my core world of HR, what you're actually seeing is a correlation between some great leaders, you know, and the great leaders therefore happen to get good business results and they happen to get great um, CX scores and various other things. What you're not seeing is tangibly the real link. Um, and, and you're right. So the, the first CX program I introduced worked very heavily on Net Promoter School uh, and Net Promoter System. And, and, you know, that's a different debate for another day about whether you use that or not. But uh, the, the big question that came out is, is you know, does this actually add any value? Um, and so it staggered me that the, there was no you know, real concrete academic peer-reviewed evidence out there that had any tangible links between the actual NPS score and the work. So that's what I ended up spending far too many hours that you can measure in years actually doing. So for the business I was in, we produced a completely scientifically robust model that would take the net promoter score of that organisation 
that you could put it in and it would spit you out the impact on like-for-like sales in a completely meaningful way that, that you could follow over a number of years. <clears throat> and that had lots of different benefits. So firstly, if you can do it with that degree of predictability, then then actually, you know, shareholders will have some interest in it, which is which is good. But the, the more important bit is as a business, it lets you make really tangible decisions within the executive committee. So, you know, you're sitting there as an organisation going, I want to spend, uh, you know, an enormous amount of figures and I, money and I could spend it on opening a store, you know, and there's lots of models that work out what that's going to give you as a return. Now, in a lot of companies, if somebody from another function sat there going, well, actually, I'd rather spend it on these three things that will improve customer experience. How do you quantify those two bits? Because we had a working model that we could go, if we do these three things to customer experience, it will improve our net promoter score by 2%. And we know 2% is worth this in actual bottom line, real money profit. You could go, well, that's worth more than a store. Now, you may still, for completely different reasons, choose to open the shop. But what you have is a proper financial executive debate um, in a way that that I've never seen previously. Uh, And so for me, really putting the hard yards into for your business, building a model that absolutely links the CX to the pound notes in your business, in the context, for me, it's game changing because every barrier in the organization dissipates almost instantaneously mm. and and it's just huge and and for me i get passionate because not enough people do it because it's hard yeah and it's um i mean i couldn't agree more and those that have um sat and listened to me talking on on these podcasts and in other areas will know that we talk about roxy return on cx investment a lot and it's exactly what you're talking about we have a proprietary model i'm sure if we compared the models there'd be similarities between the two Absolutely. i think it, <laughs> I mean, the thing that, you know, I, I spend a lot of time, I'm, obviously I'm working in Ipsos, I'm on the agency side, so my view is very different and I see lots of clients in lots of different scenarios at lots of different levels of maturity and it, it, it still beggars belief for me that, that people, you know, they talk about CX and we see um, organizations in the amount of times I could quote where we've been in a, been in a, in a pitch or in a, in a client meeting and we'll reference something the CEO said or an annual report and they just look at you because the disconnect between what is being said in an annual report or to the city or the, or the C-suite then what is actually being actioned on, on the front line. There's a gulf frankly and some of these are massive organizations so it still beggars belief for me that some of these organizations whose brushes I'll spare on this on this podcast is not seeing that link between the two and you talked earlier about cultural change and you've been you know and and are now and have been previously in you know at the at the top table having these discussions what you know so why for people that aren't you know on on the board of a a brand like Quincy or or, you know the other businesses you've been at what why don't they get it why are they still why are there still people coming to us to say we're not at the top table. I've got to get CX at the top table. They recognise it, but it just seems to be a disconnect. Is, is there a reason in particular that you think that, that that exists? I think in many ways it comes back to a, a version of the point we've just made. So in, in, in the business I was in, we were a private equity company. It was about returns. There was a clear objective. And so that that financial mission was the way that we articulated it. 
Um, and that that is the answer for many companies. But there's different bits. The, the bit to get it on the agenda is CX can't be this standalone. And that, that's my huge frustration that people put in a CX program. It sits in one division. What frustrates me many times as well is a new CX program is normally put in just as a, an addendum to all the ones that have gone before. Mm. Where I've been in successful in the past is we put something new in and we've made a, a big effort to kill lots of other things. So it becomes that one version of the truth. And, and the real bit then on culture is starting to link it to every bit of the business. So, so you know, in, 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 a, in the large retailer that you and I first worked in, you know, I always remember that, that when we first started, there was people in some of the back office functions like finance that, that you know, what on earth does a CX process mean to them? Yeah. You know, and, and some of them sound quite silly, but once you start to talk about how the processing times of the teams in finance for things like, you know, refunds or credit agreements, how that had a tangible impact on the customer experience score, you know, way down the field in a store a million miles away and, and how that started to get results. Suddenly you started to get everyone talking the same language and, it, and it's about how you've got to play out that CX message for all the different parts of the organization, not, not just the ones that happen to be talking to the customers each day. And once yeah. you start to do that, it has an enormously powerful impact. And, and you, you go back, you said, how do you get it on the agenda? You've got to tackle it from both ends. So there's the how you make it tangible for the business. But the other bit you've got to do is make it tangible for the front line. Because when you do that, leaders visit you know, sites, stores, factories, offices, whatever it is in your organisation, um, they pay attention to what people are talking about. So I've always worked on bottom up as well as top down. If you get everyone at the front line of the organisation talking about how great it is to work for customers, it starts to get attention everywhere as well. And, and I think it's really important that you do both of those bits. And, and just, just, you know, to quickly check in one bit, you talked about I'm in HR. One of the reasons I got in this and one of the bits is I think it's important. The traditional HR value chain is look after your employees. They will look after your customers and, and you know, that looks after your company. And that that's well versed and well known. And I think it, you know, in many cases it stack up. But for me, the reverse is equally true. Mm -hmm. If I go back to my early days of working in a shop, most of the bad days I had was when I was the front line who was having to stand up for utterly ridiculous policies in front of customers and the reality is if you engineer your organization to do a brilliant job for its customers it becomes so much simpler for your employees to deliver that message whether it's business to business or business to consumer and actually that engages them because they're not having silly battles or, or working with daft processes and so those two are really symbiotic and i think people often forget that and the, and the other thing, you know, because actually it was, it's good that you went that did that segue because I was about to go down the, the you know, the, the customer and employee link. You know, there is there is that linkage. It's not new. You know, it's been talked about a lot. The the brand link here is important as well. And and we're seeing this come to the fore more in the work that we're doing with, with clients. In fact, I was on a call with an existing client earlier today wanting to put some brand tracking in and for me the holy trinity is you know brand customer employee this the you know maybe not so much in your current role but in previous roles and i know i can think of some interesting marketing conversations that have been had in the past but this this link 
or this this notional gap, if you like, then between brand promise and customer experience. I see that closing now. I see less outlandish claims by marketeers and customer experience people having to to cash the checks that that, that they're writing. You yep. you see, how do you feel about that? You see and you you feel that also, do you or? Yeah, I think it's closing. I still don't think it's closed enough. I mean, in in some of the work, uh, some of the work myself and my team did. We, you know, we we did a piece of work in in a certain retail context, although it's it's pretty generalizable to other industries that looked at what were the key drivers. And this this is you know nothing unusual, and you'll do it for your clients in many cases. But what were the key drivers? And we we were measuring it over many millions of data points over over multiple years on, on a product with a very long replacement cycle uh, and it was really interesting because one of the key bits that that was driving a replacement cycle on a product that you didn't buy another one for three four five years um was actually the how well the brand the, the customer experience was compared to what you expected from the brand experience and it was a really interesting one for us because we'd been doing an awful lot of brand um, building and brand advertising. And what you found is there was a tipping point where the customer's expectation was raised so much that, that you couldn't deliver it, even when it was absolutely amazing. And what we found is three, four, five years later, that was having an impact on repurchase behavior. So it's a really interesting debate for marketeers once you've got enough data from a good program, because you can start to see the linkage between those two points, you know, and, and in, certainly in the in the work I did, and, and this stood, stood out across a couple of companies, so hence why I'm saying it's, it's generalizable. We found the absolute sweet spot was to, you know, obviously do an advertising that was great about your brand enough to do it, but actually to make sure your CX was slightly better. Uh, and, and as you've alluded to there, what you often see is companies delivering something that's somewhere between slightly worse and a lot worse yeah. uh, than the expectation. And of course, the other change you see these days is people delivering it um, to one standard through an online channel and to a different standard through a through a physical channel uh, mm. for, for different reasons. And, and so, yeah, that that's a key bit. But for me, the importance is to have have an experience that's a little bit better and, and that really yields benefits down the line that's funny i just smiling it, it's fond memories and some of the things that we did and we got to remember this was you're making reference to that particular retail this was a, what, a decade ago now you know this is 10 you know 10 years ago i mean talk about ahead of the curve i mean some of the things that were happening there and where we know we were stood together at award ceremonies and all sorts on you know with with that kind of work but um one of the things that that leaps to mind as you're talking now i remembered when when we turned on closed loop for that particular um, yeah. brand, and at the time, I remember the conversations. You, you know, bringing the organisation to close loop and explaining the importance. And it's yeah. still, even even to this day, I can tell you, you know, we're still there's still organisations that aren't either closing the loop at all or effectively. And it just amazes me that that was ten years ago, and you know, we proved the value. It was something that had a big impact in that business at the time, didn't it? It had a huge impact in, in a number of ways. I mean, one, the fact that you're closing the loop is really important. But but an interesting psychological one is is we, we put a few deliberate hoops in when a manager closed the loop to make sure they were actually doing it. And we made it deliberately bureaucratic. Uh, and one of the reasons is we wanted to make sure that they didn't get themselves back in that situation. 
um, which, which works absolutely brilliantly. So they, we got them into the habit of, of fixing things before they became a problem, which was which was unbelievably important. But the, there's nothing, you know, I hear it from other people, but on a personal level, nothing frustrates me more than, than companies that ask for my opinion and then do absolutely nothing with it. Yeah. And we, we got to a system that, that has, as you remember, tens and tens of thousands of responses, but we were actually closing the loop on all of them. And that wasn't because we had unlimited budgets and an army of thousands. We we found our way into it and, and we didn't close the loop until we got rid of some of the real big macro issues in the organisation. Um, so you have to put it in in the right point of the journey. But again, it makes such an enormous difference when you when you get the whole thing working as it kind of sits on a bit of paper, really. It really does work. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And and it's interesting. I was talking to a bank, um, well-known bank, earlier this afternoon. And um, actually, I referenced that I'd be talking to you um, because some of the things we were touching on earlier today were of particular interest. And they were talking about feeling almost reassured that this there is still this big um, tranche of customers that feel that I may as well reply to surveys at blackhole.com. You know, yeah. and it's interesting when you see people's reaction. And Yet people, when you get them talking, they understand. They just can't seem to mobilise around it or, or really get to how do you make this really happen within the organisation. And I get, you know, it's easy for me to sit and say that and people say, oh, well, you know, I want to close the loop with all detractors and all of a sudden in, you know, day one you've got 10,000 detractors. You know, I understand it's not an easy thing to do, but certainly something that, you know, it's nice. It's always nice to, to speak to you about it because I know how much of an impact it had on that business. Yeah, absolutely. And there's practical things you can do. I mean, you know, again, as we said, you, you've used the phrase detractors coming from NPS as we did, you know, and, and, and you know, other, other versions are available. But, but you know, within detractors, when we first turned on the closed loop, we, we created our own terminology of the hardcore detractors. Mm. We just picked off the zeros and ones first, you know, the ones that were really bad. Now, now by the end, we were closing the loop with all of them, but but we just picked it off in bite-sized chunks. I, I do think this is another bit there where I go back to maybe one of the advantages I had introducing it as a HR person was twofold. One, uh, I was less precious about deleting other things. So I made sure all of our other CX type activity either was purely brand, so it was an out of bat, but certainly other things we were doing killed all of that and had one version of the truth, um, which it's much easier to do when it's not your function. Um, and sort of <laughs> as you remember, the the other bit is dare I say HR functions are often used to to you know, working with a bit less money and and being creative. And I think what we were doing was going you know, and actually this was money driven, but in the end, it's the right answer. How do you empower the frontline people to do all these processes? It's not a closed team sat in an office. It's just how do you make this really easily available to the people who can make a difference? And as I say, how can you get them to go? Well, that was a little bit painful. Let's not do that again. Yeah. Uh, and then the real key that we learned much later, you know, we didn't have this the first time, but as technologies come on and you, you you know, you get platforms and intranets that are way more sophisticated than we had when we were doing this 10 years ago and sending around a newsletter. Um, you know, these days it's how you socialise that learning and how you get across the organisation. So one person learns, you know, learns how to resolve an issue. How do you get that right across the organisation? Yeah. I think that's incredibly key. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it is important. And I'm, I'm smiling to myself because I remember 
more than one conversation with you saying, well, actually, let's just turn that off and see who asks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's just get rid of it and, and, and you know, have the organisation focused on, on one thing. It's much easier to do one thing well than it is to do to do lots of things. So. I had, um, uh, we had Joe Corson on here from the ICS uh, a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, Helen? That was a, a, that was a, good, uh, a good podcast, very interesting. It's quite um, apt that we are here on the uh, 12th of April as the UK opens to non-essential retail again. Now, I know, you know, you're, you're not in in retail as such uh, now but joe talked a lot about trust and how important cx will be and we'll, we'll all be watching on the news tonight the masses of people um who have uh, you know said earlier queued for 90 minutes to get to a nike store or to another another brand a big shopping centers in the return to physical i'm just interested in your view from you know having been in various retailers in the past the, the physical element, you've mentioned omnichannel previously, but the physical element of engagement when it comes to customer experience, how do you see that playing a part in those that have a face-to-face offer? Yeah, as you know, as you know that's been a large part of, of my career for a long time. And, and I think if I've got one area looking at the CX in, industry as an outsider that I'd be slightly critical is, is it's it's kind of gone a bit beyond the edge. It absolutely needed to do the omni-channel and the digital bit, and that's crucially important. But actually, the number of times I have a CX conversation and and that the human bit of it has disappeared completely, you know, and, and you have a really slick digital offering and you forget that sometimes that digital offering creates a world where somebody phones up. And if you haven't put the right amount of investment in your your kind of training the actual person who answers the phone, or goes into a store or whatever, then, then it doesn't matter how slick your digital offering was, that, that's mm-hmm. the, the pin. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's really important. I think, Luke, for retail opening up, retailers have had an, an unbelievably difficult year. I was I was in one until fairly, fairly recently, and, and it's been really challenging. But in the main, retail staff are phenomenal people. They're doing a great job. In some ways, linking back to our bit of bettering expectations, I think the majority of retail staff will better people's expectations. People are expecting it to be a little bit tough, a little bit hard, a little bit weird. And where people have got truly engaged, fantastic retailers working on their stores, on their tills, I actually think they'll have a real boost to their CX. People who want to go down a digital channel, you know, if they haven't learned it in the last year, they're going to really struggle to learn to go down that route. But people who are force today want that physical experience and i think a lot of retailers will will do it really really well um but going back to the stuff that we've built over the years what will be interesting is the ones who have got truly amazing cx programs and can get some feedback in the next couple of days and can start to adapt the bits that aren't working or build on the bits that are working they'll take a really quick advantage the bit that's interesting you know i still see the the people relying, and we've talked about these in the past, you know, people relying on a QR code stuck in the corner of the building that says, tell us what you want. That's just not going to cut it. You've got to be more sophisticated than that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, it's funny, again, I was talking to another client about it today, is the is the demographic split. You know, the, the, we talk about next gen, wherever you put next gen now, whichever gen we're on, and they talk about that generation coming through wanting experiences over material possessions and that transcends everything you know in terms of how they interact how they engage this particular client earlier was talking about 
from an employee cultural engagement point of view, you know, getting best practice out and sharing ideas, the older group, um, which I actually said was sort of mid 40s. So I'm in the older group now. But, you know, they are an easier group to engage the younger group. To your point about QR codes, you know, we're seeing AI and bots and, and all sorts of things, messenger and lots of different techniques now to try and reach that audience. And it is very, very different from when we first started on this journey. And they will, you know, you give them any opportunity that I'll either vent their spleen or not say anything. You know, and it is, a, it is an interesting, it is a, an interesting challenge that lots of people are overcoming. But like I say, a QR code buried in the corner of a store, so tell us what you think. And then they wonder they're going to get five bits of feedback a year. And they say, why? You know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And, and well, and interestingly, going conversely the other way, I have seen, I'm sure you do, I've seen some organisations that get those five bits of data, or let's be generous and say it's 500. And they somehow assume that's statistically valid view of their customer feedback and do something that, you know, 95% of people absolutely couldn't care about. And I think it's, yeah. it's really fascinating that people don't put enough effort into to building the mechanics of it. As you know, one of the big bits of our scheme, and this is now me having a downer on some employees, um, as opposed to, you know, they're all great. We we built a lot of work into building a system that it was fundamentally impossible to cheat. Yeah. So all the ways that people, uh, you know, uh, game CX programs, and, and even down to the, some people may not see this as gaming, but where, where employees in a store go, oh, actually, this is really important to us. Could you give us a 10? We, we built ways that you could see that from the data. You, you could actually tell from sitting in the office if the employees were asking for tens from certain customers. And, and again, once you then can get the message out that, that it's not about moving the score, it's about giving the great experience and, and we know what's happening, that makes a huge, huge difference. And starts to open up the, you know, you, you think about moving from insight to intelligence to you know prediction you know we've got lots of models to we talk about our behavioral science um, colleagues will talk about customer nudging you recognize the behaviors you see the actions the signals and you nudge the customer down the path I mean it's it's very much the way the way to go but you but you're right there are still businesses we still see it now Andrew you talk about you know take those five or those 500 and they make it representative we still we'll do for some programs, we'll use video. And, you know, I see people saying to the C-suite, we're going to come in and we're going to talk to you about this. We can either show you the results of something we've got that's got five or 10,000 bits of quant feedback in it, or we can show you three customer videos. Oh, show us the videos. <laughs> oh, come on. You know, it's, it, it's, you've got to, it's, it's balance, right? We've got to get the balance, right? Yeah, absolutely. You've, you've got to get the balance. And go back to the bit we started on. You, you've got to get the message for your business right to the one that, that will get the attention because there's no point building the best program in the world if you can't get the key decision makers to listen to any of it. So, you know, you've got to pick and choose your approach dependent on, on where you are. The bit I'd say on the, the nudging, you know, absolutely nudging's right. But again, this comes down to really designing a scheme properly. I mean, I remember when we were building in, in automotive, you know, there was definitely shortcuts we could have taken through the buying journey. There was absolute slam dunks that you go, we know if the person does this, they want to do this. And actually, we could nudge them different ways. But one of the bits we then found was that there was a key bit that kind of from our perspective, we didn't need to do. Mm. So questioning about certain features. But what we discovered was that the customer valued going through the process way more than it was of any value for us. So it was something we almost had to force our people to do 
go through they do you know what what sort of gearbox do they want what sort of this do they want what sort of that do they want and really demonstrate to the customer you understand it even though actually they bought something in off the internet it was really interesting to go sometimes it's worth putting a bit in just for the overall experience so you know you talk there about i know the particular one you're talking about that program you've built more than one uh, over the years that you've been you've been in this field if you were to to give some advice to people that were coming at this cold although i have to say you know frankly less so nowadays people come and say you know what is this cx thing should i have a program you know more more often yeah. they're, they're wanting to improve what they've got but let's assume for a minute someone was coming at it sort of fresh what are the sort of three things that you would say in terms of advice when it comes to building a, a cx program um yeah, that's actually quite a good one to, to boil it down to three i think the first thing for me is concentrate on one thing uh, and so I can get more than three and I'm going to add on to a couple of them. So, so coupled onto the side of that is and, and get rid of distractions. So don't just add a new CX program and, and leave it alongside a load of other things that are legacy because people will just revert to type. So that the first is keep it simple and, and keep it on that one thing. Um, I think the second one is um, forget everything you think you know and trust the answers. So <laughs> The, the number of things that, that just in the businesses I've been in were absolute fact. And people were still arguing they were fact when there was a million data points that said they weren't, mm. so, so that it wasn't. So, um, yes, you can build hypotheses and you can test things out and you shouldn't slow yourself down by waiting for data. But you also have to be prepared to go that may have been perpetuated in this business for the last 30 years, but now we've got some evidence. It simply is incorrect. Um, and then the third, the third one is really think how you will integrate it into the culture. And integrating it into the culture is not putting a page in the board pack that goes up. Integrating it into the culture is how does everyone in the business use this? How do we create great stories about it? How do we link our reward to it? How do we link our recognition to it? How do we recruit people that will deliver this? It is how do you point every bit of the business at getting this right? And if you do that and you systematically go through your employee life cycle, then, then you know, and that, and that, by the way, applies not just in, in you know, B2C customers. That applies in, do you, do you tech developers, you know, do they really understand what you're trying to achieve for the customer as opposed to we're just trying to make this this tech brilliant? And I think that's the key bit, get everybody aligned through the whole culture of your business and, and then you, you can have dramatic impacts pretty quickly, actually. I thought you did well to distill that down to three. It was three, <laughs> three and a bit. <laughs> no, that's really, you know, and again, I couldn't agree more. And, and especially the piece around the, the fact and the truth, you know, it's these statements, these belief statements or these these facts that people make in their organization what's well, this this is why we focus on the customer this is the reason why or or you know we we know this because we know this we know our business and it just you know doing it properly will always yield a surprise or two and um and there are you know as you can see when you talk through it there are many pitfalls that people still fall in that can be avoided and it's, it's a difficult thing it's a journey but well, i think they're really useful thank you for sharing those 
No, pleasure. And, and yeah, to, to, to build on what you just said and sneak myself a fourth in it, you know, that don't try and build the perfect CX scheme from scratch. It's an iterative process, you know, get something going, get some out of it and then just build from there and build it up. And eventually it'll be integrated across your organization. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things we'll often say that is, is it is genuinely an evolution. Isn't CX is not a project. It is genuinely an evolution. And it takes time, a long time. To, to get it embedded into the fabric of the culture of the organisation and then really use it to make a difference. Just before we draw to a close, I'd just like to ask you one more question, if that's OK. I've asked you lots of questions and you've been very, very patient. Thank you very much for, for sharing. I, I would like to ask you, what do you think is next? I mean, in we've talked a lot about or there's lots of ways things probably oh the survey is dead and we need to look at this and we need to look at that but we don't you know I don't necessarily see it that way and there's lots of moving parts what do you think is next for the CX profession? I, I think the big bit for me is is you, you know you say the survey's dead collecting great feedback from customers is the bit that's important and, and what's next is we just need to constantly streamline that so you know, and, and tech will play a part of that. If I go to Google now, you know, nine times out of 10, it knows what I'm going to ask it before I ask it. And it starts to auto fill the answer, you know, and that's just clever. And it knows what people, what I've asked before, what people around do and so on. CX has just got to get to the point where we're asking customers or clients or whoever it happens to be, the, the question that's really important to them. I still find it amazing when I, when I get, um, Yes, yeah, use an example. Not that I've done it recently, but you know, train companies, train companies send me an email uh, asking me, you know, can I confirm that you travelled on this train? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I did. You sold me the ticket. I scanned the QR code through the place. You scanned it on the train. You, you, why are you asking me stuff you already know? Yeah. Did you do this while you were there? I think where CX needs to get better is to to stop validating things that that we already know and start getting the bits that matter to customers. And I think if we do that, then we'll we'll increase response rates, shorten survey times, get to the data quickly and really drive it forward. And, and that's what we need. So better integration into um, the actual customer journey in a fast, slick way. That, that's what I think is next. Yeah, I agree completely. Andrew, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, we've probably run on a little longer than than intended i had promised helen i'd try and keep it short and sweet but have materially failed to to do that and frankly you know there are loads of other areas we could cover but we won't um thank you so much for giving up your time and for sharing your your thoughts and your experience it's always a pleasure to talk to you and um uh, great to see you in uh, in this role and we'll watch closely to see what happens next uh, in uh, in eq because i'm sure uh, there are lots of things that you've got on your agenda in terms of driving change there well, I mean, absolutely. EQ is an amazing business that, that in, in some of our core areas like EQ Boardroom, you know, we pride ourselves. We've never lost a customer. So so improving CX here is really interesting because it's not about retention. It's about genuinely doing a brilliant job for our clients. And uh, yeah, no, it's really exciting. Top man. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for listening to Customer Perspective, an Ipsos podcast. New episodes will be made available each week, so be sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get the latest episodes delivered directly to you. We are also available on Spotify.